0: Welcome to the Financial Dads Podcast with Paul Fagan and Paul Becker. This podcast is for all the moms and dads out there who struggle with life's topics, especially related to family and finances. Now here's my dad, Paul Fagan.
1: Hey, Paul. How you doing today?
2: Hey, Paul. How's it going today?
1: Uh, doing good fan- week? Yeah, doing fantastic as normal. Uh, busy week. A uh, couple of issues around the house. My generator monitor... Um, is not talking to my generator. Um, you know, I guess you know first world problems, right? but once yeah. again, a reminder that for for me, home ownership is not all the joys <laughs> that it's cracked up to be. So I have to figure out um, uh, how how to kind of how to get these two devices talking again, but it's just another another thing to kind of deal with as a homeowner. How was your week?
2: Uh ah, good, good. More homeowner issue things too, right? Got carpenter bees, stuff like that. Uh you know, busy week at work and uh last night we had a uh we did one of our live fire burns at the fire academy. You know you know our listeners know I'm a volunteer fireman, been doing that for a long time. So I'm a little tired this morning.
1: Ah, uh, well, good g- I'm glad um you're able to join us this morning and it's always good to hear a little bit about what you're doing in that in that area in terms of volunteerism so thank you for that paul um i think uh today right uh today's podcast is becoming your own banker the infinite banking concept with guest siri ibrahim uh founder of fin asset protection we'll hear from siri about his business walk us through the infinite banking process and the concept but first let's talk about some news we saw this past week The first news story is from Kiplinger. uh, Helping loved ones through the last years, Um, even a financial professional can be caught unprepared when life doesn't go as planned. Here are five things I learned uh, with my own parents that I wish I had known before I started. Um, Paul, I read through this article. Um, This was um, um, interesting because I did see a lot of... uh, a lot of the same things that we went through as a family my, my grandmother recently passed and uh, my mother was kind of reeling from some of these things um since it was her mom and we probably should have done more of the things they cite in the article before things start to happen um and 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 some of these are interesting i guess they talk about leaving home is hard where um you know, you're, you're figuring out, you know, what to do with the loved one. Um, care is costly, both financially and emotionally, where they talk about the high costs, especially if you get into um, the Alzheimer's and dementia. And that's what my grandmother had. She had dementia, and it just kind of took a turn very quickly. Um, and then this whole thing about the role reversal, right, where, you know, the the parent becomes the child. And, and more importantly, um, I think it's all around this conversation before a crisis hits. I think that's something that, uh, my mother and her brother did not have with my grandmother, um, with you know with their mom. I had it with my mom when my father passed. Um, I think I've talked about this on past podcast episodes. Uh, got my mother immediately to my attorney after seeing the mess that uh, their paperwork was in when my father passed and just kind of deep dove into and got her all set with all the right docs and ready to go. So um, it's definitely something to read, and and if you're in this spot, it's definitely something to maybe take some advice and take some actions on. Uh, Paul, what was your take on this story?
2: Well, I, I thought it was really great advice, Paul. A lot of the article, and I, I agree, having that dis- discussion is actually difficult, but in, in a way, it, it's one of those topics that no one really wants to bring up, but it's there, and you don't necessarily have to be, you know. In your 50s with your parents alive or your 40s so to have that discussion. You can have that discussion really almost at any time. Um, fortunately, with my parents, we kind of do a uh, financial review uh, with them every year. So I know where they are, what's going on, and where their paperwork is as well. That's from a finance side. And the mental health and the health aspects of it, we've talked at length over the years. So. Uh, I, I don't know if anyone's ever fully prepared for it, but as the article says, there are things you can do to, to make that better, including you know, like visiting with financial advisors, tax professionals. You know, there, there are certain things you could do with, with the home, uh, living trusts. things. There are a lot of things that can be done from a finance perspective to help prepare and make that eventual transition easier.
1: Yep, very cool, very cool. All good advice, all good advice. Um the second news story is from the Business Insider. Um it's kind of a fun story. Uh, a millennial couple paid off 123,000 in student loans in a year by making four straightforward lifestyle changes. Um really short article, um but I like the fact that they kind of tied it to a person, which was interesting, uh, or tied it to a couple of people. Um, they learned everything they could about money and personal finance, which I think was key. Uh, they got on the same page about money and started to share accounts. Uh, they budgeted to live on one income. Very interesting. And they cut their expenses, increased their income. So all kind of textbook 101 things that you would do to try to knock down a huge debt. And they they succeeded. So um, I think for me, it was kind of just a fun read and, and a lot of lessons here that we've talked about in the in, the, in past episodes, Paul. Um, in terms of saving and, and tackling those debt demons. Um, Paul, what was your take on this story?
2: I I thought it was good, but you called it Financial 101. And I, I guess I would say that's right, Paul. But the problem is most of the people don't do anything like that. You know, they, they, they don't. Oh, wait, I have two incomes. I have this. I have that. And unfortunately, a lot of people spend more than they have coming in a lot of times. That's like getting into credit card debt and trouble. So, well, it's financial one-on-one. I, I kind of wish it was financial one-on-one that people understood really our topic tonight, right? Banking, the ins and outs of of the money and what happens to it and where it's going. Uh, great advice, though. I, I loved it where, you know, trying to live on one income. We did that for a while. We, still continue, we actually still do that. We're trying to live on just the one income, and the other goes towards savings and other things. So oh, very works cool. out pretty well for us.
1: Cool. Very cool. Um, so yeah, if, you, if anyone takes away that advice, that that's a probably a, a big challenge, but a fun challenge to probably tackle. So I think with that, um, we'd like to welcome to the podcast uh, Siri uh, Ibrahim, uh, founder of Fin Asset Protection, um, Sari Ibrahim's... Um, business is to help high-net-worth individuals, real estate investors, business owners, and retirees grow and protect their wealth predictably and safely. Uh, he's based in Chicago, and today we're going to discuss a unique financial approach to wealth management, uh, becoming your own banker, the infinite banking concept. Uh, welcome to the show, Siri. How are you doing today? Hi, Paul and Paul. Thank you so much for
0: having me on. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thank you very much. Um, a wonderful topic. Um, for me, I... I when I got the ebook that you sent, uh, mm-hmm. and, and I never had heard of the concept before of this infinite infinite banking, um, so for me it's going to be a big learning experience to hear more about it. And what we try to do on the show is introduce people to topics that they may not have uh, ever thought about, right? And we leave it up to the audience, mm-hmm. uh, the listeners. To to say well well whether whether i'll do that or not we did a whole show on um millennials and and how they're visioning and how they're saving and um, stuff like that and we just hope that people um who are listening will listen and do their own research and come to mm-hmm. their own conclusion as to you know why they would do something and if they're interested they pursue it further and if they're not they you know they move to the next thing so um that's part of the show and that's why we love having you here today siri so thank you for for coming, I don't know, Paul. If you have anything to kind of uh, jump in on uh, in terms of the introductions here,
2: no, I, w- I was reading it, and um, you have an interesting starting background in forestry and things like that. You want you want to kick us off there?
0: Yeah, definitely. So th- that background is actually not my background; it's Nelson Nash's background.
2: Okay, um, sorry about that.
0: <laughs> no, no worries, no problem. So yeah, so just to uh, kind of clarify, Nelson Nash uh, wrote the book "Becoming Your Own Banker." Uh, he also founded the infinite banking concept. He's known as the godfather of the infinite banking concept. And yeah, and the book is an interesting book. I think it's a it's a quick read. It's like 70 pages long, and it's just a magnificent book that talks about this concept, the infinite banking concept, where one can become um, his own source of financing. Um, the author talks about like starting off the the book with a major problem that he had, and that a lot of people have until today. Um and that is the amount of interest they pay to third-party lenders, the amount of interest they pay to, to banks. And this the book was written. I think um, it was written about 20 or 30 years ago. But if we fast forward fast forward to today, uh, the average American pays about one third of their income to service debt. So about one third of the money they make goes to service debt and that it could include student loans, mortgages, auto loans, credit cards, and other forms of financing. Um, and 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 then that's kind of the objective of the infinite banking concept is to recoup the interest we would otherwise pay to um, to lenders. We would become our own source of financing. Now, as far as what is exactly infinite banking on a basic approach, it is kind of a counterintuitive approach. It uses cash value, whole life insurance um and using the whole and using the cash value in the whole life insurance policy to become your own source of financing, to grow to pretty much buy anything that you want without any restrictions on your own terms. And and I can definitely break down like different types of life insurance if you guys like me to and, and kind of describe why exactly it is um, you know, infinite so, banking.
2: Yeah. So interesting. So it sounds like you're using the the dividends back of the policy is that is that kind of how it works then
0: mm-hmm. yeah exactly so you have um three types of life insurance you have term whole life and universal so term as you guys may already know it ha- it's just a set, it's a set period of time it's either 10 years 20 years or 30 years it has a start date and an end date it's only life insurance there's no cash value or equity in the policy uh, and it only covers you for that time period um, and then whole life is for your whole life. There's a start date, but not necessarily an end date. Um, and there's also equity or cash value that you're building up. So as you're paying into the whole life policy, you're getting two things. One is the cash value, and the second is the life insurance. And then the third type is universal. Uh, and it's pretty much a combination of term and, and whole life. Um, but you know, to make things simpler, we'll focus more on whole life. And infinite banking is when you use the cash value of the whole life policy to borrow against it and then use for anything that you want. And what that means is, let's say, for example, you have this whole life policy, you're building up the cash value and you reach a point where you have like $100,000, for example, in cash value in the policy. That money you could leverage, you could borrow against it up to, usually about up to 90% of that and you could use that for anything anything you want. So yeah, like you said, that cash value is growing two different ways. It's growing from dividends, as mentioned, and from compound interest. And when you are using the cash value in the policy, you are borrowing against it, so your your money is continuing to grow as if you never touched it. This beats, you know, a, a normal savings account because when a normal savings account when you use the money, typically there's a dip. You have to repay that. I mean, not repay the interest, but there's a dip in the principal that you had, uh, and you'd have to pay it back or um, you know cover that loss in order to get to back to where you were. With whole life insurance, you borrow against it, so you don't interrupt the growth of it. That's kind of one function. Another function back to the dividends is that because you're a mutual owner of the insurance company, you get back dividends. So this means that your policy keeps growing, even when you're using it. And when you pay the interest back to the insurance company, since you're a mutual owner of it, you're essentially recouping those in, that interest back into your policy. And this connects with the first problem that a lot of people have is the amount of interest they pay to other lenders, especially business owners and real estate investors, since they're constantly leveraging banks. Um, and that's how they kind of scale they kind of scale upwards with banks. So the more Properties they have the more businesses they have they're also taking on more financing Which means more interest to other lenders and we can kind of solve that problem at least one of those problems Using infinite banking
2: that- So let me let me try and recap that and make sure I got it right. Is that mm-hmm. okay? Yeah yeah. so I have a hundred thousand dollars equity in a mm-hmm. whole life policy I, I kind of get that, right? It's something I bought into over the years, and the value, the cash value, actually is is about a hundred thousand dollars. So now I want to borrow ninety thousand, mm-hmm. and I want to buy. I don't know, I'm, I'm going to go crazy and buy a fancy car, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to buy or ninety thousand dollars and buy a nice, really nice, fancy car. So I'm using that money to buy the car. Now, do I have to pay back interest? On that? Oh no.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, for example, let's say you know you're in the insurance business. Let's say, for example, um, it's with Lafayette Insurance Company. That's one of the insurance companies we use. When you borrow ninety thousand dollars, you're taking out a personal loan from Lafayette Insurance Company, and leveraging your cash flow. So you're taking that out of their general funds. You're borrowing from them, and. They and then not, while you do that, you have to pay them back interest. Typically, it's five percent simple interest, compounded or calculated in arrears. So you now owe you know, Lafayette ninety thousand plus five percent interest every year. That there's an outstanding loan on whatever that balance is. Now while you're doing that, you your your cash value with Lafayette, for example, is continuing to grow, compound and grow as if you never touched it. So that hundred thousand is continued to earn interest and dividends on it, even when you have that outstanding loan. So let's just say you pay it back over um, ten years, which you could do. You could pay it back on your own terms, um, and you can use it for a car, for example. And you could you 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 would even be a cash buyer when you went to go finance that car, even though you're financing it from yourself. You're you're a cash buyer, so you could even negotiate a better rate. But let's say you finance it over ten years. Now, after 10 years, you would have paid down the loan with the insurance company, but while you were doing that, your $100,000 cash value kept growing over 10 years. Now there's going to, there's going to be an arbitrage between the amount of money you used and the amount of money you earned. So like you would have the car paid off and you would have all the cash value in the policy built up. Now, let's say for example, you just use simple financing. You went to the car dealership to use, you know, um, their financing program. You paid it off in five years. Now you have the car, you have the loan paid off, but you don't have the cash saved up that you used. That was that went to the lender, um, or you use and then let's say you use cash to do that. Only cash, you would pretty much take from the savings account, deduct ninety thousand dollars out of your savings account, trade it for the car. You know, five years later, it's not like you have that cash, you know, back into your into your account now because you've spent it. So that's kind of how where this comes into comes in handy is that it's an on. It's a way of never interrupting the growth of your capital. You get to buy whatever it is you want on your own terms um, and still have your money compound and grow for you without having to lose out on compound interest.
2: Yeah, I love this because most people think whole life insurance is only for when you pass to mm-hmm. to lease something to your family. But it is such a powerful tool that is uh, and at least in my opinion here, somewhat misunderstood. You know, we, we had a guest on who used his whole life policy to help start a business, actually. Mm-hmm. So a lot, of, uh, a lot of neat ways to use it. So I'm still making money then on what I have in my policy. It's still gaining equity, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And yet I'm borrowing against that for this fancy car. And then at the end of that, whenever I pay it off, I pay it off. It's sort of up to me. Mm-hmm. But I'm paying some interest back to the loan, but yet I'm still growing. So in a maybe a more real world example, hundred thousand dollars of equity, and maybe it's a fifty thousand dollar loan. So mm-hmm. I'm growing on the hundred thousand. I still have to pay back the fifty, but since I'm growing on the hundred. And even if the rates are similar, I'm going to be growing more in that 100 than I would be on the 50. So net-net, you're, you're becoming your own banker in that way, right? Precisely. Yes, correct.
1: That's very interesting, guys. Yeah, and, and, and thanks, Paul and, and, and Siri, to kind of drive this conversation. Uh, Paul, coming from that industry, you're you a little bit definitely a lot more in tune than i am um in the past in in full transparency um we we've always kind of touted the whole term life um policy right um Mm -hmm. because really it was focused on the vehicle of being you know just for that afterlife kind of taking care of your family type thing and so it's interesting to get these different perspectives so to to be you know candid i was never a huge fan of, of of whole life but I am open to listening, and and what I'm hearing today is pretty interesting. So you know, post show I will do more research and I will read the Nash Nelson <laughs> doc in more yeah. depth. Um, and I did I did pick out some some pieces in there that were interesting around mm-hmm. you know the Willie Sutton's law and the Golden Rule and Parkinson's Law, right? Expenses mm-hmm. rise to equal income. So there was some actual interesting reading in there that ties to kind of um, this whole concept that's even just good things to know even if you weren't using this concept. So I think it's a great read whether you use the infinite banking concept or not. Um, In terms of um, strategy, do you have a lot of uh, clients now that have been doing it? What's been the success rate with them? And then my second question is How would you get started if you only had, you know, a hundred bucks in the bank? How do you get to those levels where you're able to really pull the levers to really take advantage of this type of, um, uh, concept?
0: Yeah, definitely. So I do have a, a lot of clients who are mostly real estate investors. That's kind of who we've niched down to our real estate investors. The best thing we see with them is that they have the ability to, when, when a lot of real estate investors first start off using this concept. Because there's a there's like a, a growth curve, a capitalization curve. So it's not like typically most people can't start using infinite banking to completely finance entire properties because they don't have that much cash value upfront. And the point of it is to eventually in the future recoup the interest, you know, to, for you to become your own source of financing. So it's not something like where right now today I'm gonna completely cut out banks today. Rather, it's a way that like I'm gonna build up in the future, and over the long term. I'm going to reposition the dollars I spend back into my policy. So having said that the, one of the initial things that a lot of real estate investors can do is that they could use the cash value in the policy alongside down payment. So a lot of times, you know, commercial, um, properties require 25% down and a lot of times they, um, that's all they really need. They don't really need anything else, but the 25% down, especially if it's, um, a commercial property that's rented out so they could use their whole life policy. Uh, Let's say, for example, even numbers, it's a $100,000 property. They need $25,000 down payment. They can use their policy for that. Now, the the interesting thing about this is that the bank isn't going to say, hey, you're borrowing $75,000 from us and you're borrowing $25,000 from the insurance company. Now that's 100% leverage. They're going to look at it as you're borrowing $75,000 from us and then you're using $25,000 of your own capital. In other words, they look at the whole life policy and the cash value in it as your own money, as if it was out of your own checking account. They actually prefer, and, and lenders have even told me this, they actually prefer if you use the cash value out of your whole life policy rather than using cash out of your checking account. Because they know that when you use the cash value out of your whole life policy, you don't have to pay it back within a certain period of time. And the policy keeps growing. Usually if it's from the right company and structured the right way, it keeps growing. As opposed to just using money out of your checking account, they know that once you have moved that money out of your checking account, it's not like it's going to keep compounding after that. So they prefer... That people use their whole life policies. They actually like to see that there's a there's an option on loans that says, do you have you know cash value in a whole life policy? If so, how much are you gonna allocate out of that to use for the down payment? That's one way, that's a really good way to start off using this because you're essentially 100 percent leveraged now, and you can still keep earning interest on that money that you use for the down payment. And then eventually, as you're building up now, as you're repaying the loan and, and, and rebuilding up, you can do more policies now. And then as you have more policies, you could Definitely become your own source of financing. So that hundred thousand dollar property now, you can go and become your own mortgage now, where you're literally taking out a taking out a loan from your policy, buying the entire property, and then you can pay it back over you know fifteen or thirty years even, um, and paying that interest back to yourself. So there's definitely a, a period of capitalization that's needed. It's a long term strategy. It's not like today. Hey, I have you know, I'm using Bank of America. I want to cut them out and use you know this insurance company. That probably won't be feasible. I think it's also a good way to like to look forward over the next like twenty or thirty years and figure out, all right, how much if I completely avoid infinite banking, how much would I spend out in interest to other lenders, and how much would I end up with, and then compare that those numbers with if you did if you did use infinite banking, how much would you recoup back in your po- in your pocket? Now, one thing that's important to know is that interest is just one of the problems that we solve. There's also the whole other side of taxes, which I can get into if you guys want. Yeah, that yeah bo- bo- Ooh, sorry. Ahead, Paul. sorry yeah
1: go ahead I, I I had one quick question in terms of mm-hmm. do you have tools like uh, comparison tools to show you those interest differences that you mentioned and then Paul I'll let you kind of drive
0: yeah I we do have so we could do a couple of things so number one we could show the growth of the cash value and the death benefit over time through you know life insurance uh, uh, illustrations where we show you uh, based on how the projections are for the insurance company. This is how much you can get in, in interest and dividends over the next 20 years. And then we can compare that, of course, with the cost of loans with other lenders and how much they would charge. We can, you know, that's pretty simple to do to show, like, if you were to finance this and we would compare that, we could even compare it with, like, returns in the S&P 500 average returns, and then we could even compare to the cost, the, the fees associated with other um mutual funds and uh, and index funds and then compare that of course to tax rates and how much you'd have to pay in taxes uh, at today's current rate and expected uh, future rates which are expected to go up um, probably i think in the next maybe 10 years tax rates will go up
2: i i have so many questions mm-hmm. so many questions all right um but i keep shuffling my questions around in my head because there's something you say right so from as I'm paying back off this policy, my the loan on the policy, mm-hmm. is the interest on that at all tax deductible?
0: It could be if it's used for business purposes. So let's say, for example, um, you have a company. Let's just say it's ABC LLC. That's the name of your company. And ABC borrows from you. So it's a separate entity. And then you, mm-hmm. and then the company now pays its, you back with interest. You can possibly get that deducted. I would definitely check with a CPA about that. Some CPAs are like, for sure, you could do that. If it's for business purposes, you have the proper documentation. Then others are like, no, when it comes to life insurance, it's a little bit um, difficult to do. But uh, I've seen, I've, I've talked to CPAs before, and they confirm you could do it um, if it's for business purposes and you have the proper documentation. But double check with your CPA.
2: All right, cool. Interesting. So, uh, so many other thoughts here. So one of them is... Um... So, say my home, mm-hmm. I have five hundred thousand dollars in equity in the home. Mm-hmm. Now, using your example, if I follow the the little breadcrumbs here, and I'm not really that smart at this stuff, so I'm going to ask you. So, I have five hundred thousand dollars of, say, equity in my home, and I want to, you know, leverage that for another piece of real estate. So, when I go to the bank, they would see that five hundred thousand dollars as really fully leveraging myself 100 Mm percent um whereas if i had that same sort of equivalent in a whole life policy they wouldn't look at it like that is that sort of what you're saying
0: yeah exactly and then so sometimes banks are really picky too about where the down payment comes from they want to make sure it's like your money they want to make sure that you're not like borrowing especially when it's also too when it's residential and more Mm -hmm. on uh Uh, residential living residential homes they're super concerned about where that money comes from so you're right once the once you use it when you use it for a down payment they they could use it they could accept that um and of course the equity in it it won't be they won't look at it as like 100% leverage as if it's you know equity in another property they they favor life insurance and banks even use whole life insurance for their tier one capital for their reserves you know so they're very familiar with it they like to see whole life insurance within somebody's portfolio, especially for real estate investors um, and looking for, for funding.
1: Hmm.
2: So uh, talking about, you know, getting a whole life policy, you know, there are different points of your life where you could buy one. Mm -hmm. You know, I always, when I had my first kids, uh, my first two, I should say, when Mm -hmm. we had them, you know, Oh, you should get a whole life policy. And honestly, I was so financially naive and didn't understand things. I'm like, to me, as, as a new parent, it just sounded so morbid <laughs> that I'm buying a whole life policy on my newborn son. And it it was just so wrong. And that's why I love this podcast and the series and having discussions like this is so People who might be years behind me in in their life of what they're doing, and where they're at, can can benefit from the mistakes that you know, I have certainly made, and I think Paul will admit that he's made over mm-hmm. time too. So this is really neat stuff. So with a whole life policy, like so, say I do have you know equity in my bank account, can mm-hmm. I buy a whole life policy and like put a bunch of that equity in there right away?
0: Yeah, there's a couple of things you could do. So there's ways that, like, for example, let's say you had, to use even numbers, $100,000. You could move that into a single premium case, a single premium uh, whole life policy. That's just like a one-time payment into a whole life policy. After that, there wouldn't be any future payments needed. And as soon as you did that, you'd be able to borrow like $90,000 out of that. But the problem with doing that is that um, it's called a modified endowment contract. And that means that the gains of it, when you take the gains out of the policy, it's tax, It's taxable, it's similar to how a 401k is or an IRA is. So we try to stay, about 95% of the time, we try to stay away from uh, modified endowment contracts. We want it to be a non-modified endowment contract. So in other words, tax-free gains, tax-free withdrawals, tax-free loans, more on the tax-free side. Sometimes we do the single premium cases and it makes sense, financial sense for the for the clients. So that's one way you could just move cash from your bank account into a whole life policy and still have liquidity. Now, a second way you could do that is you could, there's certain ways that we can structure policies where, for example, it's like you put in like $50,000 upfront. And then after that, it's like $1,000 a month with the option to add in more. That's also a possibility too. Um, that's more like long-term, like over funding over the next 10 or 20 years. And then of course there's the simple policies where you could do it like on a ten year basis or a seven year basis. I guess the way to answer these like which one is best for me, you know, how do I fund it is is through a financial analysis we do with all our clients. So we make sure that um, we we outline the client's objectives, what they were where they want to go, what they want to accomplish, and then also the problems they're having now. Because there's typically we use three different insurance company insurance companies, and each one has uh, different products and different functions and different purposes. Somebody who's you know, 65 years old and is going to fund a policy over the next five years is going to be in a completely different situation, completely different product, different, everything is different than somebody who is 30 years old and is going to fund a policy over the next 40 years. Those are going to be different illustrations, different funding amounts. Also, of course, you know, somebody who makes a million dollars a year is going to look at this differently than somebody who makes a hundred thousand dollars a year. The the financial analysis gives us our like map of where to go um, and which, which companies to use. Sometimes we use like two different companies for the same client, like We'll use, for example, a single premium option and we'll do a monthly payment option over the next 10 years for one client. And that makes sense to them because it addresses um, the problems they mentioned in the financial analysis.
2: Oh, really, really neat. So I, you, you said one word a couple of times and and I, you kind of mm-hmm. gave a description of it. But I just want to make sure our audience understands. Use the word illustrations a, a couple of times. Can you just maybe give a little broad ex, uh, definition of that for our for our listeners, please?
0: Yeah, definitely. So an illustration is just pretty much like a projection of numbers. Um, It would show, for example, let's say um, somebody who's 30 years old does a 30 year um, or does a whole life policy for their whole life, but is only paying into it for 30 years. So year one would be age 30 cash premiums going into how much it costs them. It would be, let's say, for example, $10,000 a year Um, cash value year one would be, I don't know, just making up some numbers right now, like $5,000 cash year, year one. And then death benefit, you know, $400,000. Now, every year, those are all going to go up. Premiums are typically typically going to stay the same, but everything else is going to go up. And this shows the client, like, over the next 30 years, how much cash value you'll have, how much the death benefit will be, how much access to cash value you have, um, and other kind of num- the, the numbers behind what's going on and what's happening with the, with the policy.
2: Oh, Really neat. So, so say my I am paying... Say $5,000 a year into the premium. Mm-hmm. And if that premium stays the same, if you factor in the average inflation over the span of a loan, and if you also take into account, you know, generally people's income will go up over that same amount of time by hopefully inflation, maybe hopefully even more, right? Mm-hmm. That premium then becomes a much smaller part of their monthly expenditures, right? So mm-hmm. does that reflect into the model and give them more leverage and things?
0: Yeah, that's actually a brilliant point. That's a very smart point to mention. Yes, it does. It gives you leverage. And that's one of the advantages. That's kind of why it's um, with, with infinite banking, it takes really um, a lot of, Not, I don't want to say training, but there, you, you need to think in these ways. You need to have an open mind, a growth mindset and really think about these things. A lot of people, unfortunately, are only concerned usually about just one thing when it comes to financial services or financial planning. They're typically concerned about the rate of return. Like if I give you X amount of dollars, how much do I get back? But very few people are actually asking questions like this, like about inflation and other things. Uh, to answer uh, thoroughly, yes, you know it, it, this is definitely advantageous when there is inflation because the premiums stay the same. So you know, $5,000 a year now is going to be different than $5,000 a year in, in five years from now or 10 years from now. Uh, it's going to cost you less money in the future. And then also to add on to that is that one of the ways that the policy grows, as already mentioned, is through dividends. And then when inflation happens, the cost of things go up, right? So when the cost of things go up, typically insurance companies see, especially mutually owned life insurance companies, see an uptick in dividend rates because now they are charging newer clients more money and their investments, typically they're invested in um. In real estate, they give out private loans or tragic interest on those loans. Typically those go up too. So now the dividends go up. So you have kind of this win-win situation, whether uh, inflation happens or not, your policy cash value is growing either way. And I think that's really important too, to position it is so that no, cause a lot of investors too, are kind of almost guessing and hoping that they make money depending on economic conditions. But with infinite bankings, you never really have to hope what's going to happen, whether Markets go up or down, you're still, both of those are advantageous to mutually owned life insurance companies. And, and I read something crazy that it's, it's in a book called All About Annuities, and the author's talking about annuities and life insurance companies, and he mentions that just the life insurance companies in the United States only, just if you were to take all the life insurance companies in the United States and pool all their cash together, it would be more cash than all of the banks and oil companies in the world combined. So it kind of shows you how life insurance, the leverage life insurance companies have in, in, in economics and in, a, in kind of like in, in markets overall, that the, how strong they are financially. And it's not just because of how financially strong they are, but it's also because of the ways they're regulated in the United States and how much cash value they need to have. They need to be able to meet all the death benefits, all the policy loans, all the cash values and all the other you know commitments they've made legally. Uh, They need to be able to do that. And they've been doing so, you know, a lot of them for well over 100 years. So it's just kind of I think this is super important for the listeners to understand that, like how how financially uh, strong life insurance companies are and their impact with when it comes to inflation, market trends and dividends and other things like that.
2: Wow. So um, I'm glad you brought up the regulation side of it, because there mm-hmm. is very stringent financial regulations around the life insurance industry and and how much capital uh, they must have on hand to meet those obligations. Mm-hmm. So it, it's really important for people to know. Mm-hmm. Yep. So my, my next question is, you know, with, with the dividends, do they – come back to me as cash or they just reinvested into the policy? Do, do I have an option? How, how does that work?
0: Mm-hmm. You do. You have an option. So when we start the the application, there's typically uh, two questions. How do you want or two uh, options? How do you want the dividends paid back Do you want as a check mailed to you every year? Or do you want them reinvested back into the policy? Now, this depends on the client. They both have benefits to doing so. Um, what, I, what I've What i seen is from all the policies I've written with clients, I, we always choose the option to have them reinvested uh, back into the policy because they have a compounding effect with interest. So in other words, when you have the policy growing, the amount of dividends you get is based off of the size of the policy. So so somebody who's been paying a million dollars a year into a policy is going to get more dividends than somebody who's paying $100,000 a year into the policy. So the dividends size is proportional to the cash value and premiums paid into the policy. And then the compound interest that you're earning in the policy is uh, compared to how much cash value you have. So in other words, if you are able to put more cash value on top of that compounding effect, it's going to give you more and more money in the future. So the point of infinite banking is to be able to legally add in as much cash value as you possibly can into the policy. And there's typically no federal limits or statewide limits for how much you can add into a whole life policy. Like there are with, for example, like 401ks and IRAs, those are typically across the board, like 401k, everybody, you know, I think as of this year can only add in, you know, 19,500, or it may have gone up to like $20,000, but that's, that's across everybody. Whether you make $20,000 a year or make a million dollars a year, it doesn't really matter. Um, it's a, with life insurance companies, it doesn't work that way. Typically the limits are based off of your income because the life insurance companies say all right you know for the most part the objective of life insurance is to replace your income so somebody who you know it's and it's typically you can get up to about two point uh, sorry about 25 times your annual income in life insurance so if you make a hundred thousand dollars a year you could typically get up to two point five million dollars in life insurance and ca- the way they would calculate cash value is usually about 25 you can get about 25 times 25 percent of your annual income. So if you make $100,000 a year, usually you could use $25,000 a year to pay your premium. Um, And then you could obviously do more policies as you start increasing in income. And this is super important too, because let's say you do have millions of dollars and you want to protect it from market losses and you want to become your own source of financing. Infinite banking will be a really good way to do so because the other qualified accounts out there and other vehicles out there kind of put a a limit on how much you could add into it um and and of course you know back to what was already mentioned earlier is that you know we're we're addressing interest but there's also taxes too that that can be you know um looked at too from the from the point of infinite banking
2: yeah so let's take a a typical um 30 year old maybe just had their first kid and Mm -hmm. um they want to get a whole life policy on themselves, not, not yeah. you know, the scary, morbid thinking part of, yeah. you know, getting one for their child, which is, you know, I, like I said, I probably should have done that. You now, the 30 year old, like how, how long does it take them to generally pay that off? Is it sort of obviously it depends on how much the policy is, but but is, is it like a for 20 years I'm paying this off? Like, is it going to feel like a mortgage or how does that sort of
0: work? Yeah, that's a good question. So uh, you have the choice. You could do, you know, seven years, 10 years, 15, 20 years, 30 years. You could do, if somebody's 30 years old, I would recommend they do it over 30 years because um, it, it's, again, it's back to the whole counterintuitive thing where it's with whole life insurance and, and allocating the dust, allocating dollars to the right company in the right funding ways. It gets to the point where there's no such thing as too much premiums paid into it. It's, it, it, the tables kind of churn, and it becomes, and this happens with all, once all our clients understand this, the tables churn, and then they start asking questions like what's the most I can add into this? Or when can I do my next policy instead of what's the lowest I could pay for this? What, what's the shortest amount of time I could pay for this? Because we typically, I think we're programmed that way naturally when it comes to insurance and pretty much buying anything, there's a commodity and with commodities, we want to reduce as much as possible. We want to budget, pay it down shorter, faster, quicker. You know we want to save those dollars. But with infinite banking, it's the opposite. It's You You want to add in as much as you possibly can over time because it's a win-win. Because if you add in dollars, you always have access to those. They'll always be growing no matter what happens. If you pass away, you get a higher death benefit. The more the more dollars you're putting into it, the more money your family will get at a multiple, usually about four or five times the amount you're putting in. So for every dollar you're putting in, you're increasing life insurance about, by about five times. You're also increasing the amount of money that you could borrow against, and of course, increasing the dividends and increasing the interest, and everything else that goes into the policy. So it becomes to the point where, you know, how what's the most money I can add into this every year? How much do I keep adding it more into it? Because you're gonna, you're essentially replacing a bank account. Instead of the money sitting in a bank account, it sits in a whole life policy, and yeah. that would, you know, that would obviously um, be more advantageous. Also, on a whole another topic, we could talk about asset protection too meaning that the cash value in the policy is typically in in most states uh, protected from outside risks and outside creditors and and people who want to sue you. So that's another whole other reason why usually high net worth individuals leverage as much cash value, whole life insurance as they possibly can, because not only are they becoming their own source of financing, not only are they growing tax free retirement and, and tax deferred gains, but they're also protecting it from creditors and outside risks too. And this depends on your state and I would definitely check with an attorney. Um, But there's a lot of, you know, I think this beats the ordinary checking and savings account, you know, for sure. And it's not really an investment vehicle, but it's definitely a very powerful saving strategy for sure. That could be leveraged for investments. So you could use it for your investments.
2: Yeah. And that's an interesting, uh, very poignant point there, right? This isn't, um, paying off a car loan. This isn't mm-hmm. a bill you're paying every month. This mm-hmm. is building your wealth into a different type of savings vehicle for, for for all intents and purposes. Now, it may not be, it's probably not uh, FDIC insured, but it mm-hmm. is. Um, they have to meet certain regulatory requirements to pay off all that. Now, I, I guess m- one of my last questions here, and I'm sorry if I'm rambling so yeah, much, sorry. is... Well, you know, say, you know what? I don't want the whole life policy now. I've done it for ten years. How does that? Work? What happens then? Dude? Is all that money gone? Do it, can I get it back, or what happens with in that case?
0: Yeah, you typically have options. So, after ten, if it's from the right, if it's structured the right way, and what I mean by right way is that if it's if the policy is built for high cash value liquidity, which a lot of whole life policies are not built that way. So if it is built that way for high liquidity and you've been paying into it for 10 years, you have option one, you could, there's a cash surrender value. You could walk away with the cash value, whatever that is. Um, I would say after 10 years, you're going to have more in the cash value than you did pay into the policy. So you would have, you would be able to just walk away with the cash value with the gains. Um, Option two is you could do something that's called reduce paid up where you, for example, if the policy was being set to be paid for 30 years, but after 10 years, you change your mind, you could change that and reset it to only pay in for 10 years. So in other words, you stop making payments into the policy, but the policy is still active. The death benefit is still there. You're just not paying into it. And if the cash value is still growing the death benefit is still growing, even when you've stopped paying into it, of course, it's not going to grow as much as adding money into it, but it, it's technically still active and still growing. Option number three is you could take out a huge policy loan and just go as long as possible. Um, you could even take out a policy loan and pay future premiums with that. But I think that to, I think better under, ask if a client came to me and asked me this question, like, Hey, it's been 10 years. I would ask, you know, why would you want to cancel it? The policy now is in its best place. Now you're getting the most dividends. You're getting the most interest. You've already got all your money back from paying into the policy. The death benefit is increasing. Why would you want to cancel it? You know, even if you, even if money is tight, you there's ways that you could reduce the premiums owed over time, but still keep the policy growing. You can keep. So that's kind of what happens. Again, it's it's not a build. It's not something where like you want to kind of chop off. You know, eventually, it it gets better in the future. It gets better every year, especially year ten. It's going to be you know you get all the money back plus all the growth. Now, if it's year one or two, I still think that's a bad idea to cancel it. But that's obviously when the policy is going to be not as strong as your 10 there's a you know back to the whole capitalization period. 10 years would be the capitalization period. Usually like it's not, that's not the official rule. It doesn't have to be 10 years to reach, but 10 years into a policy, that's when you can actually start making some big moves. You could start borrowing larger amounts of money. You could actually start having a bigger impact on your business and your family when it's, when it's reached that point, that 10 year point.
2: So, so that's interesting then. So someone who's, you know, 50, 51, 52, Mm -hmm. You know, if you cap, you know, 10 years, you know, knock on wood, you know, hopefully there's still enough in you here. And so even someone who's older, maybe not 70, they different things for that, I'm sure. But someone even in their early 50s could still sort of leverage this sort of thing, especially as medical science and everything's gotten so much better. And people seem to be uh, not just living longer, but
0: active longer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. True.
2: Wow. So th- this was a really a, a great summary. I, I want to thank you for, for bringing this to uh, to us. Uh, Paul, what do, you, what do you got there?
1: Yeah, I, I got to say, um, this is one of my, I think this is going to be one of my favorite episodes because I love episodes where I go in not knowing as much and what I've heard today, now I'm learning more. Um, so for me, I'll listen back. To this at the gym, uh, Siri and Paul, uh, to hear the dialogue going back and forth uh, between you guys um, to kind of give it a more thorough listen, right, to try to get that deeper understanding. At this point, I'm still I'm still listening and still trying to understand how this all comes together um, but uh, for me it was a great episode so thank you Siri for your help today and Paul I'll let you have the final word and then we'll let uh, Siri you know uh, plug his website and, and and give us a little bit of his uh, uh, his pieces and thank you Siri really appreciate it thank you
2: yeah I, again uh, we we do this podcast so everyone can understand there are so many different tools out there to just your make yourself and your family more financially astute and hopefully stable. And, you know, it's episodes that like, like this that really keep me going to help to do this. Cause I, I love these, these episodes, you know, I learn things every time we talk to someone. So I, I really appreciate Siri, you, you, you coming here today and, and sitting with us and going over it. A- any last words from you on this?
0: No, thanks, guys. Thank you so much for having me on. I think one thing that's important for people to know is that it's definitely a thinking process. It's not so much of buying something off of a shelf. You know, it's more of a thinking process and repositioning the way that you you make money, spend money, save money, uh, and you know, as mentioned, you know, this is something that banks do. So remember, think like a bank. You know, um, our our show is actually called Thinking Like a Bank. That's the name of our, our new podcast, which is uh, has been up since about March check out the show thinking like a bank. And if listeners wanna reach out for a free ebook and just kind of some sort of free content on infinite banking, they can go to um, finassetprotection.com. It's finassetprotection.com for a free um, ebook or free content or, to, or even for a free consultation if they'd like to schedule an appointment with me.
1: Very cool, very cool. Yeah, we posted all the links to our social media page. So thank you, Siri. Um, we really appreciate it. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed our discussion today, and I'm personally looking forward to the next one. Uh, thanks, everyone, for downloading our podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at financialdads@gmail.com at gmail.com, or check us out on Facebook. Just go to financialdads.com. So with that, this is Paul and Paul and Siri uh, reminding you, managing finances can be stressful, but that's why the Financial Dads are here to help you plan for success. Have a good one, everybody. Be well, and thank you.